You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. Morning, church. Y'all look amazing this morning. Online, you look amazing as well. I know, even if you're in your pajamas still, you look great. Uh, We're glad you're joining with us, each and every one of you, uh, online and in person. Uh, This morning, we are excited to continue our series, Authentic Fire. Pastor Tony is going to be continuing the series this morning. And so before he speaks, I want to call us to pray this morning in light of what's happening across our country as a result of the George Floyd death. I feel like the church needs to rise up and pray. And so that's what I'm going to call us to do this morning. We need to be a people that see a light in the midst of this darkness. And we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring redemptive answers in this hour. So would you all stand to your feet? You know, Martin Luther King Jr. himself said that darkness cannot drive back darkness. You know, only light can do that. And hatred cannot drive back hatred. Only love can do that. And what we saw unravel over the weekend was the world trying to combat evil with evil. And so we need to be people that are rooted in righteousness, that, are, that understand our inheritance in Jesus, and that we can bring light in the midst of this darkness. We don't need to cower. We don't need to be in fear. God is empowering us for this hour. And obviously Martin Luther King Jr., his testimony is a beautiful example of that, even as we heard this week from the Holocaust survivor Irving Roth, and he shared about uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, two, I mean, two men, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King Jr., two men, two of the most courageous men of the 20th century, combating evil with the gospel. And we can do that. We can drive back darkness with light. So let's lift up our voices in intercession. Uh, in this hour, the world needs us. Our nation needs us. Our city needs us. There are people hurting even and in fear even in our own city. So God, right now as the church of Jesus, we take our position of authority and come against this darkness of violence, of racism, of of hatred, of division. It's not of you. And so we take our place as being the preservatives of the earth, being salt, of being light in the midst of the darkness. And you've given us a message of hope. You've put it in, in our hearts. You've It's brewing in our bones right now. It's brewing in our souls right now. And I pray that it would burst forth from your church in this hour. Lord, a message of love, a message of reconciliation. God, that you would empower us to be the peacemakers you've called us to be. And and Lord, the calling to be peacemakers would not be a passive posture. But Lord, it'd be bold. It'd be be bold peacemakers in this hour. I pray that, Father, right here in our local context of Ames, such a diverse city, a gathering place of the nations. Lord, you give us a voice of reconciliation. The Lord, we would be a testimony as we band together with other churches, but also, Lord, there would be just such a unified sense of the family of God bursting forth from this church that it is light in our city, a light in our neighborhoods, a light on the campus. I pray it in your mighty name. Amen. Yes, we are needed in this hour. Thank you so much for praying. You should go ahead and find your seats. God's been working this summer as we've kicked off this series. Would you all give it up for Pastor Tony as he comes? Thank you, Pastor Drew. You're amazing. Thank you for your leadership. And God is good. 
God is good, and that is uh, the foundation of who we are as followers of Jesus, that he is good. And so that's not a, we just put a smile on our face and the world is crashing around us. We say, God is good, but it's his goodness. He is good despite what's going on in the world. He's good despite uh, the circumstances that we face in this life. Amen. Amen. Well, let's jump right into it today. I got a lot to cover, a lot to cover. Um, like Pastor said, we are in this series entitled Authentic Gray, uh, Authentic Fire. And um, it's really been a bird. It's, it's been the cry of our hearts for, I mean, I can remember being in college and just crying out for God to move. And it's really been a cry in our hearts for the last 15, 16 years that we just desire to see an authentic move of God's spirit in our day. An authentic demonstration of God's power in our day. We don't want anything stirred up, any, uh, just emotionalism, or um, we don't want anything that's man-made. We want an authentic outpouring of God's Spirit. And I love that when God's Spirit moves, when God's Spirit falls, it transcends generations. It transcends socioeconomic status. Every single race, every tribe, every tongue. It's for all people all people when God's spirit comes. And so we found that it would be necessary for us to really go after this um, idea of authentic fire because um, within Pentecostalism, within um, charismatic circles, we've seen so many extremes. And uh, things that started in truth, started in health, um, somehow got off track and then found our, ourselves in this place of extremes. And so we're not looking to be balanced believers but we want, we want to shoot through the air, like Pastor Drew said last week, in the truth of God's word and his spirit, which are always together. Amen? So we want authentic fire. And so um, the last couple of weeks, Pastor Drew has set up for us some guardrails um, that are going to kind of keep us on track throughout this, that it's really this, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is our affection. And Jesus is our example. We fix and focus our attention, our eyes on Jesus as our affection. And we also look to him as the example of how to live, of how to treat people, how to pray. Jesus is our example. So this morning, we're going to look at these uh, really two extremes. Of On one side, there's kind of two ends of the spectrum. On one side, we have over here, we have like a, a sloppy grace as I'll call it this morning. We have like a sloppy grace, and then on this side we have what's, what's called legalism. And so this morning I'm going to talk about sloppy grace, then I'm going to talk about legalism, and then we're going to talk about true grace. Amen. So I won't leave you hanging. We're not going to just um, talk about the errors and not the truth. I, want to, I just want to encourage you this morning that God has a, a lot to say, and he's never confused about who he is. And so our our... Our heart in this is not to name names and tear down ministries, but to empower you, the people, equip you, the people, to discern for yourselves what God's word is saying and what his spirit is saying. And so that when things are, uh, you know, you'll, you'll be out in the world or you'll listen to something, a podcast or something, you'll be like, ah, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> we can go to the word and you can feel empowered to do that. So it's not our job to be the morality police for the world. It's not our job to be the theology police for the world. Um, but we, we feel like it's our job to equip you to be discerners. Throughout church history, you can kind of see this progression where you'll see a group of people have an encounter with God. 
a true encounter, an experience with God where it transforms their heart, it transforms the very way that they live. And then we see the fruit of that transformation, which, which, which bears itself in, in holiness, in pure living, in a change of a culture, in a change of a society. Amazing works. Uh, we can look throughout history and see the incredible organizations that have come out of incredible great moves of God. So we see God move in a very real way and, and transform a heart, and then we see the fruit from that, and it's amazing. But then what happens is we see the next generation come, and they see the fruit of the previous generation, and they say, wow, that's amazing. I, I really want that fruit. And they go after the fruit, but they lack the encounter. See, I want that fruit, but I, they don't have the, the transformation of the heart, and so it becomes legalism because it becomes all about the rules. It becomes all about do this, don't do this. And it's empty religion. And then you have the generation that comes after that that sees the previous generation and says, well, I can see all the holes in this, and this just doesn't seem like it, it holds up. You poke at it, and it falls over. It's not real. It's just religion. And they say, well, I, I'm tired of all these rules and regulations. I believe in Jesus, and I love God, but I don't, I don't want all these rules and regulations. So we're going to swing way hard to this other side and say, I'm not going to be bogged down anymore by these rules and regulations. God is a God of grace, and and, I, and, and he understands. He's, he's, just, he's just like Santa Claus. So like I said before, like C.S. Lewis said, we want to shoot right through the air into the truth of what God really says. So we're going to start with sloppy grace and see some problems with it. And like I said, we don't, uh, we don't have time this morning to, this could be a series in itself. So I'm going to try to get through it quick. I'm going to be talking quick. So think fast. One of the problems with sloppy grace is that it is an incomplete gospel. It emphasizes forgiveness of sin, but not freedom from sin. Sloppy grace focuses on God's ability to save us, but disregards God's ability to continue to transform our lives. Most modern grace teachers in our day would, would say that since we are living, uh, we're not living under the law anymore, we're not old covenant believers, we're living in the new covenant, we're living under, under grace, we're not living under the law. All of our sin has been paid for, past, present, and future, which is, all of that is 100% true. It is 100% true. But the emphasis is on a freedom from the law and not a freedom from sin. And so since I'm not a, I'm not a slave to the law anymore, the next logical step is that, well, I have, it's license. License to do whatever I want to do. License to sin. And since we're under grace, anything goes. God is like this big, huge, benevolent teddy bear in the sky. Anything that comes natural or feels right or feels good is accepted as normal. is celebrated. God understands. This is not an empowering grace. This is an enabling grace. This is not a grace that says, go and sin no more. This is a grace that says, your sins have been forgiven. Go live however you want to live. It is an incomplete gospel. Another problem is, is that sloppy grace is one-dimensional. It is a shallow understanding of God's grace because it elevates one attribute of God at the expense of all the others. 
There's no, there's no justice. There's no holiness. There's no purity. Besides, you're already perfect in God's eyes. You've been fully sanctified. There's no need to pursue holiness because God loves you just the way you are. The problem with most deception is it's very deceiving, right? <laughs> no one's like, hey, lie to me, right? There's truth within a lie. So don't worry, we're going to, that might be confusing in some ways because you're thinking, wait, what? Another problem with, with sloppy grace is it's rooted in self-deception. Since all of our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future, there's no need to confess our sins or repent of them. God's not worried about it. He's not worried about it. Can you imagine being in a relationship with somebody like this? Having a friend or a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend that anytime something happens in the relationship to harm or hurt the relationship, that person doesn't acknowledge, confess, feel bad about it. We would call that person a sociopath, right? <laughs> like, what's, what's the matter with you? You don't feel bad that, I thought you loved me, I thought you cared about me. So, because we are forgiven already, the Holy Spirit doesn't need to convict us of sin because he's not worried about it. So that feeling you get when you do something wrong, that's, uh, that's not conviction of the Holy Spirit, but it's a self-inflicted guilt and condemnation. You're focusing on the wrong things. The problem with this way of thinking is you're ignoring huge portions of Scripture. And you're ignoring God's specific call for us as a people of his to walk in holiness and purity. So it doesn't take a lot. There are subtleties within that, that sloppy grace. And, uh, but legalism, it, it's a little easier to pick out. So we'll move on to legalism here. Legalism is a, an emphasis on the rules and not on relationship. And the problem with legalism is it makes you a slave to religion. Because it's not rooted in a relationship, but in your ability to follow the rules. It attempts to change someone from the outside in. And it emphasizes standards and not a savior. Legalism says, though, even though I consider myself a believer, I'm still a poor and pitiable sinner. There's no change in identity. I'm still the same person I used to be. I'm still a sinner. Another problem with legalism is it causes us to live in constant fear and striving. Because legalism is an external works-based mindset. When you're a good boy or you're a good girl, God loves you. When you're a bad boy or a bad girl, God is mad at you. God is withdrawn. God doesn't want to be around you. See, legalism says that all the things that we do, we do to gain merit with God. So we, have our, we find ourselves living under the weight of condemnation and failure, that we're never good enough. We're never going to be good enough. We're never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be able to do it. And it actually tricks us into thinking that we should be good enough to do it on our own. <laughs> causes us to constantly worry about forfeiting our salvation around every corner. I messed up. Oh, man. I guess I'm going to hell. Because it's not based in a relationship with God, we live in a fear of God. 
God becomes this fickle, spiteful, arbitrary, trivial person. Because we live in this unending maze of do's and don'ts. It distorts our ability to love ourselves, to love other people. And it causes us to constantly be comparing ourselves to how everybody else is doing. So we either get a big head because we're doing pretty good. Or we live in constant condemnation that we're never measuring up. We become judgmental. We become critical. Isn't that the, one of the biggest indictments against the church? They're, they're judgmental. But they're all a bunch of hypocrites. A bunch of judgers. The problem with both of these extremes and how we find ourselves in them is it, it, the focus is not on Jesus. The focus is on me. The focus is on ourselves. And it's puffed up with pride and arrogance. And the Bible says that God opposes the proud. <laughs> it means to be actively, he's working actively against the proud, and that is not a place that I want to be. All right, so now we're all depressed. <laughs> Let's answer the question so, what is true grace? What is true grace? True grace, we're going to simply define it in this way, is God's unmerited favor towards us that empowers us to walk in power and holiness. His unmerited favor towards us that empowers us to walk in power and holiness. This is when the grace is that that thing that, that, that comes when, when you need blessing, you need provision, when you just feel like you're going to give up and that strength that comes to persevere and keep going. That word that comes to your mind to encourage someone that looks like they need encouragement. The ability to walk in the supernatural. When you pray for someone, lay your hands on them for healing and they get healed, that's the grace of God. It's his it's favor towards us, but it's also something that empowers us. His grace is simple, and yet it is vastly profound. It saves us, rescues us, restores us, changes us, and transforms us, transforms us from self-seeking sinners to fully surrendered saints. It was his supernatural, infinite grace that saved us, and it's his supernatural, infinite grace that will keep us. We are swimming in a vast ocean of grace, and we've only explored a tiny inlet of it. His grace is unending, just like we sang this morning. It's unending. And we, it's our life's pursuit to experience and explore in a greater way the grace of God that's been poured out for us. You see, when you're born again, you are justified in God's eyes. The blood of Jesus, he sees the blood of Jesus that comes in and washes you. When you give your life to Jesus, you're born again. That old person is gone. There's a, you're a new creation. You are justified before the Lord. And he sees you and he says, this is my boy. This is my girl. We are right standing with him. We're pronounced not guilty. But this was done by faith and not works. And we're no longer a sinner. We take on a new identity. And actually the Bible says we are called saints, which means holy ones. Holy ones. So don't call it, you're not a sinner. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not a sinner. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but you're not a sinner. You have a new identity. You are a saint. You are a holy one. Ephesians chapter 2, this is good news. If there was ever a portion of scripture to memorize in your life, it would be this. 
It's long, but it's a good one. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you once lived in when you, fought, when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the, its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. And it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms with, with Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. This is a, gr- a gift of God, not by works that anyone should boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared for in advance for us to do. We were dead. Every single one of us, we were dead in our transgressions and our sin, unable to save ourselves, unable. But God, because of his, his, his mercy and his loving kindness towards us, sent Jesus to die, the ultimate sacrifice for us, the ransom for us. He said, I want my, I want my children back. And so I'm not that person I used to be. And in fact, it's God's grace that we are his handiwork. That can also be described as like you're his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He saved us. Not just to save us, but for something. He created us to do something with our lives, with a purpose and a plan. You see, God's grace is, has saved us. It is saving us and it will save us. It has transformed us, it's transforming us now, and it will transform us. And there's this idea in the kingdom, this concept of the already but not yet. We experience and we know right now, but it's only in part. Bob Gladstone says it best. He says, failure to grasp this biblical tension of already and not yet is a failure to grasp biblical grace and Jesus himself. The kingdom is now, the kingdom is not yet. I am saved and I am being saved. The hour has come and the hour is yet future. I am sanctified and I am being sanctified. I am a new creation and I await resurrection. I am now a child of God and I am exhorted, sometimes warned, to endure to the end. So grace is both a virtue that saved me as a free gift and that governs me throughout the process of ongoing sanctification. But it never erases my free will or the call to be a faithful steward. You see, grace and holiness go hand in hand. It's not one or the other, it's both and. So when we give our hearts to Jesus, we are justified. But how many, I want you to raise your hands, how many of you, after you gave your heart to the Lord, since then, you have never done anything wrong? You've never sinned. I just want to see your hands. Awesome, we have no liars here. That's great. (laughs) Unless you're at home and you're lying to yourself. The truth is, is that we are perfectly justified in the eyes of the Father. But there's a process called sanctification, which is a, an ongoing process of purification and transformation. And these are both experienced through God's grace. 
It's his grace that saves us, and it's his grace that empowers us and calls us into deeper intimacy with him. Michael, Dr. Michael Brown says this, Biblical holiness begins in the heart and flows out from an encounter with God and his word. It calls for repentance and a response to the Lord's gracious offer of salvation, and it offers a way to be holy, the blood of Jesus and the spirit of God. Biblical holiness is free, although it requires discipline and perseverance. William Barclay, the theologian, says, Grace is not only a gift, it is a grave responsibility. A man cannot go on living the life he lived before he met Jesus. He must be clothed in a new purity and a new holiness and a new goodness. The door is open, but the door is not open to the sinner to come and remain a sinner, but for the sinner to come and become a saint. God's grace is not a license to do whatever we want and live however we want to live, but it's a high calling to walk in closer intimacy with God and be conformed to the image of Jesus. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. In this present age. It brings us salvation, but it, it teaches us to say no to those appetites of the flesh, to be self-controlled. You see, holiness is not legalism. Legalism is man-centered. Holiness is God-centered. Legalism says, I, I have to do this to, to gain God's approval, to gain merit with God. But holiness says, I love him and I want to please him. And we are in a daily pursuit of holiness every single day. But this doesn't mean that, that you're a failure if you're not perfect. But it means that the closer you walk with God, the deeper your, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is and the voice of God is in your life. Oswald Chambers says, God has one destined end for mankind, holiness. God is not an eternal blessing machine for men. He did not come to save us out of pity. He came to save men because he created them to be holy. Holy, set apart. The world would recognize you as being someone who has been with Jesus. And as we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, we experience a life of fruitfulness. Righteousness produces righteousness. Love produces more love. Truth, more truth. There's no downward spiral, only infinite progress. So as believers, we welcome, we welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We welcome it. We keep a soft and a tender heart to the Lord. And we say, God, if there's anything in my life that isn't pleasing to you, God, show me. Search me and know me, God. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. We welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But we often mistake the conviction of the Holy Spirit for condemnation. And they're not the same. Condemnation is that voice that whispers in your ear when you've sinned or you've done something wrong that says, I told you. You're not, you are, you're, you're just a sinner. You haven't changed. See, look, you just, you said you weren't going to smoke today and you smoked today. See, I told you, you can't do it. You're always going to be like this. You're always going to be like this. And the Bible says that condemnation leads to death. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit is that voice that comes that voice of the Holy Spirit that comes and says, come on, 
You're better than this. I made you for more than this. You're heading this direction. Let's get off, let's, let's get off this, this, this road. Let's exit here and let's go this way. Come. Come over my way. My way. This is, this is the way that leads to life. Stop pursuing those things. Come on. Let's go this way. And if we have a soft and a tender heart towards God, we will heed that conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that conviction of the Holy Spirit is God's grace. And we have to remain sensitive to it. A.W. Tozer says, and to expose our hearts to truth and consistently refuse it or neglect to obey the impulses it arouses is to stymie the motion of life within us and, if persisted in, grieve the Holy Spirit into silence. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes. Our only response should be a humble and repentant heart. Why? Because we live in a relationship with God. We're free from religion. We're free from being a slave to the rules. But we're also free from being a slave to ourselves. Being a slave to sin. And now we're, relate, we're in relationship with this God. So when we do something to harm the relationship, when we do something to, to that, when we sin against God, we should feel something. This should do something in our hearts. We should feel a remorse about it. Right? Just like, a, think about the most important person in your life right now. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a, a sibling, maybe it's a friend. Imagine, now imagine if you, you did something to hurt them. You wronged them. There should something, and you find out about it, if you know it, that should do something in your heart. You should, you should feel bad about that. If my wife, this, is, this last week I, I, I was flippant with my wife when I should have been encouraging And I hurt her, and I, in my heart, old Tony, uh, young, stupid Tony, would have been like, yeah, she'll be fine. She'll get over it. And we all know that's, that's not true. But now, after being married all these years, I'm like, man, I, and loving her more today than I have 11 years ago, I'm like, man, I don't want anything to be between us. We are going to get this figured out, and I don't want her to ever feel like she's not loved or cared for. I don't want her ever to doubt that. If Pastor Drew, my brother, if he, if he was upset with me about something, even if it was a misunderstanding, I would go, it doesn't matter the time or day, I would drive to his house and we would, we would get things right. And we should be that sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We're not going to hurt God. We can't hurt God. But we, I don't want to grieve the Spirit. And so if there's something that I, I'm like, man, Lord, I want to be quick to repent. I want to be quick to be on my face before the Lord and, and acknowledge and say, God, I've sinned against you. I've done, I've done, I made a mistake, God. So that's why we do, we confess our sin to the Lord. We don't need to go to somebody else to confess our sin. And then they bring it to the Lord. We confess it to the Lord and we say, God, I've, I've, I've wronged you. God, I've sinned against you. And you know what 1 John 1, 8 says? It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is, he's talking to believers. He's talking to believers. So it's important. I know when we feel like we failed God or we've, disappointed him a lot of a lot of times we feel like we have to we want to run away from him kind of run with our tail behind our legs you know like a dog who peed on the carpet 
but we should be running to him and say, God, I am yours. I recommit myself to you today. Wash me, cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And he is faithful to do that. We, ha- we live this life with God in a place of relationship. So God's grace saves us, but it, don't, it also empowers us because God's grace calls us into the impossible. God's grace calls us into a places that we would not be able to go without him. Calls us to do things that we would not be able to do without him. His grace is merciful. It is an enabling help. It's an ongoing empowerment. It's his continued work on our behalf. And there are seasons when he calls us into greater places of faith, but then there's this this grace that comes upon our life for more faith, for divine enabling, divine ability, divine gifting from God. That's all his grace. He takes us places that we cannot go. He takes us on an adventure. He calls us to an adventure. Places that we couldn't go without him. I was thinking this week, you know, I have a two-year-old son. He turned turns to today actually it's his birthday and he's just the best um but for some reason dean likes to he carry carry around chapstick (laughs) he's very concerned about the hydration of his lips (laughs) and so he carries it around everywhere he goes and he'll pop that thing off every two seconds and he puts it and pops it back on and literally he just carries it around and, uh, but there are times where he'll take the lid off and then we'll say, hey, buddy, looks like you got some teeth marks there in your chapstick. Were you eating your chapstick? And he's like, so then we have to take the chapstick away because you shouldn't be eating chapstick. And so what I do is I take this chapstick and I put it up on this shelf in our kitchen. It's way out of his reach. Impossible for him to reach. And he goes on with his life and forgets about it for a while. And after a while, I don't know if his lips dry out or what, but he's like, I need, where's my chapstick? And he goes in the kitchen and he sees it, he sees it up there on the shelf. And he walks, it's funny, because he walked up to the shelf and he just goes, Ugh. he's reaching for it. He's not, he hasn't figured out tippy toes yet even, you know? He's just like, Ugh. it's impossible. He's not even, not even close to getting it, right? And even if, you know, he can go get chairs and he pulls them up to the counter to get at things. He could pull a chair over, get on that chair, and he still wouldn't be able to reach it. For him to get that, he would need to go out into the garage and get the ladder, pull the ladder in and get up there, which is impossible for He is a beast, but he is not, he's not that strong. So what does he do? He comes over and he finds me, and he grabs me by the finger, and he goes, Dad, 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 Dad. And he goes like this, and he goes, and makes that sound and pulls, pulls until I come over and I, he looks at the shelf and he, he points up at the chapstick. He just points up at it. And so I could just get the chapstick for him and, and hand it down to him. But instead, what I like to do is I like to pick him up and I hoist him up and he reaches up and he grabs that chapstick, takes it off, puts his chapstick on and he goes on his way. With me, Dean is able to do things that he would be that would be impossible for him with, without me. He's able to go places, reach things that he wouldn't be able to do without me. This is God's grace. 
This is God's grace and empowers us to live a life that is impossible. For some of us in this room, you've been a slave to sin for a long time. You feel like it's impossible to ever imagine this sin out of my life. God's grace can empower you. God's grace can free you from that sin. For some of you in this room, your marriage has been in shambles for years. Maybe at home, your marriage has been in shambles for years. You're like, this is impossible. God's grace is enough. There's always more. There's always more. It never runs out. It's always enough. For some of you, you've been, you've been, maybe you've been going after, maybe you're in school and you feel like you've been in school forever. You've been going after this dream. Like I'm never going to reach it. God's grace is there. God's grace is enough for you. It will sustain you. It'll cause you to persevere, do things that you couldn't do. It causes us to walk in a, the place of impossible, to walk in the supernatural. You know, there's no power for me in me to heal anybody. I can't heal anybody. But Jesus' power through me heals a person. Freedom. The words that we speak can bring grace to those who hear it. You know that song we sang just a minute ago, Amazing Grace. I don't know if you know who wrote that song, but it's a guy named John Newton. Who was a slave trader. He called himself the chief blasphemer. He had no friends. Everyone hated him. He was a horrible person. And he found himself out in a storm for many days. And he's at the helm, and there was a hole in the boat, and it was beginning to sink. And he said, I cried out to the Lord. I cried out to God. I didn't know what else to do. I called out to God. He said, miraculously, the, some, of the, some of the stuff they were carrying shifted and plugged the hole. And they drifted back to land. He said, that experience changed something in him. And he surrendered his life to the Lord. He still continued on as a slave trader. But as he began to walk with God longer, he began to see the evils of what he was doing. It was not compatible with this gospel. So much so that he completely swore it off. He said, I'm never doing that again. And he became one of the leading voices for the abolition of slavery. So that's why he could sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. How precious was that grace when the grace appeared. You know the song. This is God's grace. And I think for some of us, we've become, we've removed ourselves from that place of God's grace upon our lives. Maybe you feel disqualified. Maybe it's just been so long. Maybe you forgot that feeling, that kind of feeling of relief comes when the the weight's lifted off your shoulders. This morning, I want God to take us back to that place, that first love. God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for changing us and transforming us. I thank God that I'm not the same guy I used to be. And it's Pentecost Sunday today. And uh, I'm just so thankful that the Holy Spirit was poured out because I gave my heart to the Lord and I, I struggled for a whole year trying in my own power, striving for God, trying to be a good boy, trying just, I'm not gonna, I'm just not gonna drink today. I'm not gonna put drugs up my nose today. I'm not gonna kill myself today. 
And a year later, I had an experience with the Holy Spirit. I had an experience with the Holy Spirit where he transformed me and changed me. He freed me from alcoholism and addiction, from depression and suicidal thoughts. He called me into something. And he empowered me to do it. This is God's grace for our lives. Listen, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing unique about me. This is for all people. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you've done. This is for every person, every human. This, this grace is available to you. And God is offering it. We're going to sing this song again. If you stand across this place, we're going to pray. We all bow our heads across this place. I'm just going to have one call this morning, and it's this. I'm going to ask this question, and in response to this question, I want you to raise your hand, and I'm not going to single you out, embarrass you, call you out, make you do anything weird. I just want to pray for you, and I want to know who I'm praying for. So if you're here, anytime we gather in a room like this, I know there's, there's people here that need to get their lives right with the Lord. They need to experience that that feeling of being right before God, starting a journey in a relationship with Him. So if you're here this morning and you say, Tony, I'm not where I need to be with the Lord, or I don't have a relationship with Jesus, I've never had one, or maybe you had one before and, it, and it's grown cold and stagnant, and you need, you need to get your life right with the Lord this morning. If that's you, would you just put a hand up in this place? I want to pray for you. Yeah, thank you. Is there anybody else? appreciate your honesty. You can put your hands down. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to pray a prayer similar to the one that I'm about to pray in your own heart. God's not looking for the perfect formula of words. He's looking for your heart. And even if you didn't raise your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me if you need to, or if you're at home and you need to pray this prayer, pray it with me. God, this morning, I just thank you so much I thank you so much for that gift of salvation that came through the blood of Jesus to cleanse and wash every single sin in my life, to free me from myself, to free me from my sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So now I take that free gift of salvation. I receive it. I say yes to it and yes to you. I submit and surrender my life to you now. No turning back no turning back. Lord, and I turn from all the things that are unpleasing to you in my life. I repent of those things and I turn now and I stop pursuing them and the things of this world now I pursue you. You will be my life's aim, my life's affection to live for you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now let let me just pray over us as a people. God, I pray that we would just have such a deep revelation of your grace towards us. That we truly are swimming in a vast ocean of grace and we've only just scratched the surface. We want to see you more. We want to know you more, God. And it's your grace that brings us into that place, God. We want to step into the impossible. And it's your grace that enables and empowers us to do that. So again, today, right now, today, in this place, in this hour, God, we submit ourselves to you. We surrender to you. And God, we thank you that you've given us this gospel of reconciliation, this ministry of reconciliation that we are called 
to be ministers of reconciliation. So Lord, in this hour, in the, in the times that we face, God, we lay down our opinions. We lay down, God, our desire to be right. And we say, God, we want to show a world what Jesus really looks like. We want to show a world what Jesus really like, looks like. The power of our testimony, God, the blood of Jesus, to cleanse, to restore and redeem, to transform a people. And we, God, we're calling out for our nation in Jesus' name. Revive us, God. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. And may it start in us here in Ames, Iowa, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.